Good morning, Cornerstone Church. Come on, let's give it up. This is a great day. My name is Scott. I want to welcome everyone at the Santan campus, everyone at the Scottsdale campus, everyone at cornerstoneonline.com. Come on, every one of our locations. Let's put our hands together. We've got a lot to celebrate today because God is good. He's alive. He's active in our life. I am just so thrilled to be here with you guys again because today we're going to continue with this brand new series called Storyteller. And in this series, we're digging through some of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever taught as recorded in the New Testament. Uh, last week, we said that a parable is really an everyday illustration used to teach a spiritual truth. Well, a parable is also a small story that can answer a big question. In fact, you look through the Bible, one-third of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament are in the form of parable. I think that's likely because he lived in a storytelling world. He lived in a storytelling world where literacy was rare, books or scrolls were rarer still, and memorization was commonplace. So the teachers of the day, and Jesus, of course, as the Son of God, the master teacher, he taught in a very verbal and visual way. He didn't teach just for the transfer of information, but his goal was transformation in our lives. And the point of parables is often singular, yet the application is very broad and very vast in our life. And so my prayer is today that we can walk out of here and have an immediate step to take to do what Jesus tells us to do. So if you're still with me, come on, man, let's make some noise again. It's July 5th. Come on, we got to keep this thing going. It's been a great weekend. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 10. And uh, while you're opening up to Luke chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible at any of our locations, the text will be on the screen when that time comes. But I want to do a quick survey, all the locations. Put your hand in the air if you can honestly say, I love my city. I love Phoenix. I love our area. I love our city. So keep your hand up. Now, how many of you would say, uh, keeping your hand up, that July is your favorite time of year in Phoenix? Just a few hands go up. Most of them are going down. Uh, there's various reasons. If you're online joining us, there's, there's reasons why that is. But I want to say that my favorite time in the city of Phoenix is in March. I mean, the weather is absolutely perfect. And it's also spring training. It is so cool to be in Phoenix in March during spring training. Because what's so fun about it, and you guys know this, you live here, but when I get a chance to come into Phoenix in, in March, you walk off the plane, you're in Sky Harbor, wherever you are, and you see all these thousands of people who've converged on your city for this one glorious, godly, biblical, epic moment called spring training. And you know who they are. Because they all have their caps on, their team jerseys and t-shirts and all that. You got the Giants shirts on, the D-backs hats, the Cubbies hats while they're eating at Portillo's, where the hot dog place is, trying to get some of their homegrown food there. You've got the A's and the Angels and the, the Rangers. You got all these folks and all these teams, you know who they represent. And it makes me think or ask myself this question. As a follower of Jesus... How do people around me know whom I represent? How do people know that I'm a follower of Christ? Is it maybe what I would say if I could pick on ourselves, some of our cheesy Christian t-shirts, like the jerseys? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you ever been in a bookstore where, where it says, uh, Jesus is my homeboy. Like, like, what's up with that? 
or Jesus is was up in my life, right? Or Jesus died for my space in heaven. Cheesy. I know we just do these silly things. Or maybe it's the bumper stickers. Have you ever seen the Christian bumper stickers? Well, they say, follow me. I'm following the one who knows the way. Okay, right. Or the bumper sticker that says, I hope you're following Jesus this close. <laughs> I used to, I used to have this bumper sticker on my car. My 1985 white two-door Ford Escort had the bumper sticker, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. And it said, caution. It's like, cool, man. He's driving off the bridge because there's nobody in the car, right? Cheesy stuff. And is that how people know or identify who we are as followers of Christ? Is that what's distinctive about us? Well, the cool thing is, Jesus told us quite clearly what is distinctive about those of us who are followers of him And stay in Luke 10, but I want to read something to you first in John chapter 13. It's in verse 35. Jesus is speaking and he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now he's speaking specifically in the context of what we would say the body of Christ or the church. But I think it's obvious that it's to everybody. Our love for one another will prove to the world that we are his disciples, which makes me have this thought that our love for God is evidenced by how we love others. I believe as followers of Christ, people should see how we love them and those around them. And at some point be able to point back to who Christ is in our life. Our love for God is evidenced by how we love others. And Jesus teaches a parable that really illustrates this Really, really well. And it's in Luke chapter 10, and it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everybody ever heard of the Good Samaritan? I mean, come on, you don't even have to have read the Bible to have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. So before we get into the specifics of it, let me kind of set the whole scene up. Because Jesus is teaching, and a guy comes up to him who, uh, Scripture says, he's an expert in religious law. How many guys ever felt called of God to be that guy? Not very many of us, right? He's an expert in religious law. He's, he's literally a lawyer. Because in that culture, religious law played a big part in civil law, in, in the culture. So he was a lawyer. He needed to know what the religious law was. So he's an expert in maybe what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament or just the whole thing. And so he stands up, starting around verse 25, and it says that he, he uh, asks Jesus a question. He says, okay... How do I inherit eternal life? A common question that they would have in in public dialogue. How do I inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus flips it on him and asks answers by asking a question. He says, well, you're the religious expert. You know the scriptures. What does it say? You've read it. And the guy says, well, and he goes to some very common uh, uh, verses. He says, well, it says the two greatest commandments are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And then so Jesus says back to the guy, yeah, you got it. Now go do it. Pretty deep, huh? The son of God, the Messiah, going real deep on this guy. And the guy says, well, hold on a second. And I'm going to read this to you. It's in uh, Luke 10. I think it's in verse 29. So it says, The man wanted to justify his actions. Hold on. How would you like to be that guy standing toe-to-toe with the Son of God and you want to justify yourself? 
The man wanted to justify. Oh, that's right. That's what religion does. By the way, keep moving. That's what man want. The, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Not only does religion like to justify itself, but it likes to compartmentalize life. I want to be this in this part of my life, but not over in this part of my life. But he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells a parable to give him the answer. He tells a little story that answers this very big question. Who is my neighbor? And he gets into the Good Samaritan. Now we're going to read it in just a second. We're going to dissect it and maybe make some observations that we can apply to our life in it. But before we do, here's the basic story. So Jesus says, there's a guy. He's walking down the road. He gets jacked. He's laying in the road, beat up, been robbed. He's dying. And some guys walk by. The first guy ignores him. The second guy ignores him. The third guy cares, does something to help him. And then Jesus says, which one of those guys was his neighbor? Right? Really simple. Super, super, super simple. But let's dig into this and see where it could maybe um, step on our toes a little bit this morning. So let's go to verse 30. Luke 10, 30. Are you guys still with me? Scottsdale, you with me? Cool. Santana, are you with me? Gotcha. Okay, here we go. Jesus replied with the story, verse 30. A Jewish man, which by the way, this is going to be, if you're ADHD, this is going to be heaven for you for just a few minutes. So we're going to start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. So Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Okay, pause. So we said last week that when Jesus teaches a parable, it's an everyday story used to illustrate a spiritual truth. He's pointing out things that are common everyday scenarios. They're not fairy tales. He's not making this stuff up. So when he says these guys were traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it was a road. And some of you who have been there may have gone on this road. The road from Jerusalem down to the valley of Jericho is about 17 miles long. And the descent is 4,000 feet. Now that's pretty steep. When I get on my bike and I go into the Sierra Nevadas and I climb 17,000 or 4,000 feet, 17,000 feet, 4,000 feet and 17 miles, I'm going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when I get up to the top. I am whipped, okay? That is quite a descent. Not only is the descent uh, a lot in regard to the altitude change, but the topography is quite treacherous. It's very bumpy, lots of boulders, and it's just not a great road that you would want to go down. In fact, it was a very dangerous road because people would hide out behind the boulders and they would rob people. So this is not a Sunday drive kind of road that you're going down. This is not uh, going down Scottsdale Road. This is something you're going to find this out in Queen Creek, all right? So it's very dangerous and there's robbers all around. So here's what happens. He says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by L.A. Dodger fans. I mean, bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. Everybody say, oh! Nice. Verse 31. By chance, a priest came along. Oh man, the man of the cloth is there to save the day. The guy, now here's, keep an, remember why Jesus is telling this. Because the religious guy who knows, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is speaking to him. So Jesus uses, is, illustrates it by saying, well, here's a guy who we would all assume loves the Lord his God with all of his heart, his soul, his mind, and strength. The priest comes along. Now to make it even more uh, specific for us, I told Larry Van Lahr, the uh, Santan campus pastor this week, I said, can I use you as an illustration? He's like, sure. He didn't know what I was going to say. So Larry comes along, the Santan campus pastor. Everybody say, go Larry. So here comes Larry. All right, we're going to insert him into the Good Samaritan. 
by chance, Larry comes along. But when Larry saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Everybody say, come on, Larry. Man, you're supposed to be the man of the hour. You're God's anointed one. You're the chosen one. You're the man of the cloth. Certainly, you would do something for this guy. Larry's probably going, man, you know what? I've had a hard day at the office all week, and I'm heading home, and I just want to relax. I've got the pot roast in the oven. My wife's making mashed potatoes, and I just want to chill. I let someone else help this guy, okay? I'm tired. I've done my public service for the week. Love you, Larry. Verse 32, it says, a temple assistant walked over. Now, a temple assistant was uh, someone, if you read the Old Testament, was a Levite. Not the brand of jeans, but a Levite, someone who would facilitate worship in the temple. So let's just have fun and uh, let's just pick on ourselves and say it's Matt Hale, the worship leader today at the Scottsdale campus. Matt walks by. Everybody say, come on, Matt. So Matt walks by. Take, well, you know, worship leader, by the way. Matt, I don't know what you're wearing today, but you know the worship leader outfit. Skinny jeans. <laughs> cuffed bottom. Just on top of the high top leather boots, fitted plaid shirt with a leather wristband and the full hawk, right? And the slow slung guitar, right? So here comes Matt along the way, man. He's walking along. He's looking good. And here's what Jesus says about the temple assistant. He looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Here's an observation. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. But our love for God is evident in how we love others. However, loving others can be inconvenient. Everybody say inconvenient. These guys are on their way, likely from the temple in Jerusalem, going home to Jericho. And like I said, they may have had a full day's work. They're like firemen. They work in the temple three days straight, okay? And they're tired. They've done their duty. They're on their way home. And they got to be thinking, look, I don't want to stop here. This is, I'm going to go home. I don't want to stop and maybe they're setting me up. Maybe someone's going to jump on me and hijack me as well. This is not my deal. Well, let me just suggest this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, let me suggest this idea to you. That an inconvenience in your schedule just may be God's way to get involved in your day. Keep your eyes open for it. Be sensitive to it. Here we go. We're moving on. Verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Now pause. A Samaritan, the Samaritans and the Jews did not do life together. They were, there's tons of tension there. They didn't like each other. They didn't even want to be in the presence of one another. So here Jesus says, hey, two guys who you think loves God didn't care about their fellow hurting human being and they passed him by. I'm going to bring someone into the story that you can't stand. And you would think, well, they don't care. They're heathens. They don't love anybody. They're Raider fans. They don't have any compassion. And so he says, the despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of them. Our love for God is evidenced. And how we love others. And I want to suggest here we can take the observation that at the same time, loving others is not only can be inconvenient, but it can be disruptive as well. This guy not only embraces this moment of inconvenience, he embraces the disruption in his whole schedule. 
his whole life. He goes, the scripture says right here, he takes his own resources, takes the guy to a hotel or a place to stay, tends to him, cares for him. I would imagine maybe he's, maybe this guy's off to a board meeting somewhere. Maybe he's heading to school to teach. Maybe he's going to a soccer game. Maybe he's going, he's going for a night on the town. I, we don't know what he's doing, but he chooses out of compassion to stop. There's another hurting human being and he chooses to allow some things to go undone in his life, to reprioritize, to disrupt his schedule and take care of this guy. Jesus says, that's what life, that's what love looks like. So I want to throw this thought out at you to chew on a little bit. If you want God to work in your life, if you want to see God at work in your life, become the work of God in someone else's life. Living on our own in our selfish little bubble, we rarely see the work of God in our life. But when we go beyond our comfort zone, make ourselves available and begin to serve other people because we love God, I guarantee you will see God at work way more often than maybe you do now by not serving other people. But it's inconvenient. It's going to be disruptive. Let's keep on going. Are you still with me? All right, so verse 35. Well, I I, I wrote this down and I want to make sure to say this too because I think it's a great illustration of this point about disruption is if you were not here during this series called Weird, there is in week four, go online, Cornerstone Online, week four, Pastor Lynn teaches a message called Othering. And he's teaching about carrying the burdens and sharing the burdens of other people. And he says, you know what the whole idea of this is? Is to leave no man behind. And if you want to dig into this even more, that's an incredible message that speaks into this very point. So here we go, verse 35. The next day, Jesus is still telling the story. The next day, the Samaritan handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Loving others can also cost us something. So here this guy is. He embraces the inconvenience. Okay, I'm going to go for this disruption in my life. Takes the guy to the hotel. Starts spending his time caring for him. And now he's going to put some resources into this thing. How many of you have ever been at work, in church, uh, at, a, at a ball game, or just anywhere at home, school, and someone you know who's a friend starts talking to you about their life, and they sincerely start sharing a challenge they're walking through, and you uh, feel this desire to pray for them. Anybody ever do that? You ever pray for people? Okay, Lynn, if you're watching this, only eight people at Cornerstone Church pray for others. So <laughs> we got some work to do. So you feel like praying for them. How many of you guys have ever said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be praying for you, and then you forgot to pray for them? Anybody want to be honest at Cornerstone today? Man, I forgot. Well, here's, here's the thing for you 12 that forgot. Here's all you need to do is don't wait till later. Just pray right then, right there in the moment. Pray in Walmart, all right? Pray in uh, whatever grocery store you have, right? Pray in the office. Pray in school. Just pray right there in the moment. That way, you don't. if you forget, you're already showing support in that way. So anyway, aside from that, if God ever puts on your heart to pray for someone, just be ready if you really want to love them Be ready that every now and then God's going to have you also say, I'm also going to pay for you. I'm not just going to pray, but I'm going to pay. This one's on me. I got this. You have a need. I can help. Let me write the check. Not all the time, but I'll tell you what, when that happens and you have the resources to do it, for those of you who've done that, and I'm sure most of you have, it's an awesome thing, isn't it? 
when you've got something that can help somebody else and you're like, man, God just used me to help this person out. I'll pray, I'll pray for you. I'm going to help pay for this. Jesus says, that's what love looks like. It's inconvenient. It's disruptive. It often costs us something. But here's the cool thing about it. In all of this, for those of us who are followers of Christ, the cool thing about this is not only is God using us to help someone else in a very significant way, but he's using that way of serving to shape us spiritually. In fact, I would even suggest we will never be who God wants us to be, never experience the full work of God in our life until we are serving people on a regular basis. Because he uses that to shape us and to sharpen us. And he peels away the, the selfishness. And he fills us with more compassion for other people. He gives us his heart when we serve other people. So let's go on. So Jesus wraps up this story in uh, verse... Oh, what verse are we on? Verse 36. So he asks the guy the question. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And he says the same thing that you and I would say. The man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy, right? It's not rocket science. That's the beauty of parables, man. There's not rocket science here. It's very specific and very applicable. Then Jesus said to him, well, yes, now go and do the same. Now, if you are not a follower of Christ, this is where you are off the hook. You can check out for a minute. This may not apply to you, but if you are a Christian and you love God and you love Jesus and you want to live your life following him and his teachings, love is not only inconvenient or can be disruptive or cost you something. Loving others is simply a command. There's no way around it. We cannot stick our head in the sand. Well, we can, but God's not going to be able to do a greater work in our life. God commands us to love other people. And in this is the way he calls us to do it. It's just, just the way it is. And what's so cool about that is that you guys are part of a church that does that. You're part of a church that does that in our communities. Collectively. Loving and reaching out and resourcing and caring for our community in so many amazing ways. As you do that, let that be the way, let it model the way for you of how to do that in your own individual life, privately, in your circle of influence. Be this kind of person that loves in this way. I, uh, thinking back about all this, um, it was about 12 or 13 years ago, quite a, quite a while ago for me. Um, I remember I was sitting in my, my home office and it was in the front of the house. So the windows went out to the front yard, out to the street. And I'm sitting at my home office one morning. It was on a weekday. It was a Tuesday or a Wednesday morning. I can't remember exactly. About 8 a.m. And uh, kids are getting ready for school. And the ones that were in school. And these cars start lining up, up and down our street. And I'm like, what? That's, that's, this is like Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. This isn't, this isn't good. What's going on here? It's not Saturday afternoon. It's not Friday night. Cars going up and down our street, lining up. People start walking into our neighbor's house that was across the street from us. Now, we didn't really know them. They were a very private family. Didn't really socialize with the neighborhood. I was a, a, a husband and wife, teenage daughter, and an elementary age boy. And so I'm sitting in my office watching these people go into the house and my stomach just starts to turn. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Something has, something's happened. And I come to find out a little later that their teenage daughter, 
on her way home from school the previous afternoon. They were driving recklessly, got in an accident, and she died in a car accident. Every parent, and, and sadly, some of you may have experienced such a thing. But there's not a parent who, who can think of that and go, that would be the worst nightmare. Horrendous. I live across the street from these people. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I believe Jesus is the light of the world. I believe that he forgives my sins, that he's the son of God, that God has come to give us hope and give us a purpose. And he's come to give us eternal life through Christ and that God is for us. He's not against us. And God heals the brokenness in our life. He heals the broken heart. You know what I did for my neighbor? Nothing. And I haven't been able to forget it. I didn't do a single stinking thing. I sat in my house once I found out what was going on and I'm like, what do I say? It probably didn't matter what I said. What probably would have spoke more than my silence was just my presence. What do I do? How about just walk across the street and knock on the door? I never did. Come to find out a couple of years later, uh, their marriage fell apart, which is often the big challenge in such a tragedy when two people are just broken and empty and have nothing to give one another. It just keeps falling apart and, and often uh, their marriage falls apart as well. I don't think I could have saved their marriage. That's not my job. That's God's. But I did nothing, you guys. Imagine you going through a horrible, horrible scenario and someone across your street loves God. How deafening would that silence be if they chose to do nothing? And it literally is, bothers me now. A few years later, um, we had the house next door to us was uh, three college students was, were living in the house. Three girls. And my wife Shelly and I got to be friends with them and get to know them pretty well. Great, great girls, very sharp, great neighbors, actually. You think of three college students, uh-oh. You know, no, great neighbors. And one day... Uh, in the middle of the afternoon, cars start lining up on the street and they're walking into my, the, the girl's house. And I'm literally outside doing yard work or something like that. And I think, oh gosh, not again. But you know what? Not on my watch. This is not going to happen again. I'm not going to stand over here in my own yard and silently ignore what's going on because I'm a follower of Jesus. I may not know what to say. I mean, I don't have to explain it away. I just have to be present and let them know I care and do what I can. So I walk over to their door and knock on the door and all this is going on, on the inside of me. I'm picturing this scenario years previous. And I knock on the door and I'm ready to just cry with them, hug on them, do whatever I can. I knock on the door and they open up like, hey, Scott, and they're all holding on to a beer, drinking beer. And they're partying, they're having a great time. Well, maybe I shouldn't say they're having a great time. We're in church. They're having a horrible time. No fun at all. That... And I was just like, this big relief came over. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, man. Nothing bad has happened. And But it was just for me, it was, I had to walk across the street. And I had to knock on the door. Because that's what we do. I had a great opportunity. I was actually speaking on this topic about a month ago in a, in a church in our community in the Sacramento area, which boggles my mind. Honestly, every now and then I have to pinch myself going, there's like, there's like, 
three churches in the world that asked me to come and do this kind of stuff. And I love it so much. It's crazy awesome. But I got to tell you this. When I'm, you guys, when I'm done doing this, I'm exhausted. It takes a lot of energy to keep you from falling asleep in church, people. It really does. So when I'm done, man, I'm spent. But it's a blast while I'm doing it. And so I'm at this church having a great time, pouring my heart into this thing. And I was speaking on this very same subject. So I get done. It just so happens to be that afternoon and the early evening, Ashley, our daughter who graduated, we're having her graduation party. People are coming over. And so Shelly and Ashley and grandparents are there kind of getting some of the stuff set while I'm at this church. And I'm going to be grilling the food that night and all this stuff. It's going to be a great time. But I am exhausted. So I drive home. And I get out of this three-piece suit. This dress clothes drive me crazy, guys. And I get into something more relaxed. And I'm like, I just need a half hour to chill. I'm toasted. So I sit down on the couch, kick on the 60-inch flat screen, glory from God, TV. Sunday afternoon, summertime, nothing else, nothing better than throwing on the baseball game. So I'm sitting there watching baseball. I'm in it like two minutes. Shelly comes in the house. She says, hey. Uh, there's a, you got to come outside. I think there's a lady out here. Well, you, there's a lady out here. You need to go and help her out. I'm like, what? This is suburbia. What are you talking about? No, you just need to come out. She didn't even tell me what was going on. You need to come out and see this. You need to help her out. I'm like, baseball. I've already done my stuff, man. I'm tired. Let somebody out. get out here and help her out. Okay. I'm going outside. I walk out and there's a lady right in front of my house with a flat tire. And I'm like, God, you got a sense of humor, man. <laughs> I just talk about the good Samaritan. I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is totally true. An hour later, a lady from San Diego gets a flat tire in Folsom, California, in the middle of a little neighborhood, right in front of my house. And I'm like, all right, God, you're starting to ask preachers to practice what they preach, huh? Is that the deal? How much better would our country be if that happened, huh? So I... She's trying to get the little jack out from the, it was a rental car, by the way, and get the, you know, that little, the car has, forget it. Anyway, little jack, they're horrible. So I get, can I help you out with that? She goes, oh, sure, thank you so much. It's hot. She's, she's like, she's tired. She's frustrated. I jack her up, change the tire. Most anybody can do that. And just talking with her, got to know her a little bit. It was really cool. And I walk away, not with this big religious epiphany, like, or that I've changed the world, but I'm like, you know what, God? That's more than a tire. For me, that was a test. That was a test to my heart. Am I going to live this out? And I think about the tire. You think, Scott, that's kind of small potatoes. But I'll tell you this. Often the big things come in small packages. And when we want God to do big things in our life, he's often going to ask us to do the small things so that he can do the big thing in us. And so as you laugh at me, I'm going to pray that God tests you this week. Are you ready for that? Because our love for God is evidenced by how we love others. And it can sometimes be inconvenient. It can often be disruptive. It can sometimes cost us something. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it is a command. And so I want to pray that God gives us opportunities to follow him by serving others. At all of our campuses, uh, let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you for taking this very simple story that I don't think we'll ever be able to forget once we hear it and know how it applies to our life. God, you have called us to love other people. Lord, we thank you that, there, it, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross of Christ, Lord.
It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter our background, our life experience. Lord, we just thank you that you've called us to serve everybody because we are all human beings. So Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with a sense of compassion for the hurting folks that are around us. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us to stop, to embrace it, to serve others, no matter how inconvenient or disruptive or costly it might be. And Lord, we pray that through that, you would show your glory in their life as we serve them and that you'd shape us as followers, as disciples of Jesus as we serve other people. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody can say, amen. Come on, let's give it up for God for showing us this awesome thing. Hey, let's stand up together for a second. Stand on up. I get to dismiss you today. Before you go, um, let me say this to you. If you're here and you would love someone to pray for you, there is a team of folks that that's one of the ways they serve and love others. They want to come alongside you and pray for you. If that's you, as people are going out, you come this way. They'll be standing up front. They'll pray for you. Other than that, you guys go out, keep tuned. Where's the test this week and serve other people. All right. See you later, man. Good job.